Bible basics. Bible basics. First, the Bible. What is the Bible we've looked at? Second, God. Who is God? Third, control. Who has control? Fourth, creation. Why is there creation? What's, what's the meaning of creation? The sin, the creepy doctrine. What is it? Then we looked at covenant. What are the ABCs of covenant? Then we looked at Jesus. Who is Jesus? And then we looked at the cross. Why did Jesus die? Last week, the resurrection. Why did Jesus rise? So what's our doctrine today? And the answer is faith. Specifically this question, where does faith come from? So where does faith come from? Now, why should you care about where faith comes from? Why should you care about it? Well, in college, I read a book called Shadow of the Almighty by Elizabeth Elliot. Anybody know that book? Just a, okay. Um, it's about the life and ministry of Jim Elliot. Elizabeth Elliot wrote it. Uh, he was killed on January 8th, 1956 by the Hironi, Hirani people of Ecuador. Uh, he was taking the gospel to them. And he and four of his closest friends, his team on the gospel, were murdered, martyred, as is said in the church. Uh, this book greatly impacted me. It's hard to even describe how deeply it impacted me. Um, I wanted a relationship with God like Jim Elliott. Uh, I wanted to be used by God like Jim Elliott. I wanted to take the gospel to unreached people, people who have never heard of Jesus, like Jim Elliott. I wanted to be holy like Jim Elliott, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I've never forgotten that. Those are famous words by Jim Elliott. For me, Jim Elliott was the shadow of the Almighty. So, how do you live a life of faith like Jim Elliott? How do you Connect deeply to God like a Jim Elliot. How do you move mountains, be used by God like a Jim Elliot? How does that happen? Where does faith come from? Is the answer. Wherever faith comes from is the answer to that question. So right before COVID hit, I'm at my office, the office that I had at the time, uh, Common Grounds, and I am there, and I noticed that a church staff team's coming in, and it's kind of annoying because they take up all the daggum seats in the area that I like to sit at, and I have to sit there and listen to their conversations. And so this church team comes in, this office staff team comes in, and I'm like, oh, great. So I try to move over just a little bit, but we're still, I'm, I'm like, I mean, Here's the team, and here I am. And I realize that they're introducing a new staff member to their team. And the pastor stands up to greet this new staff member, and I'm just going to call her name Susie. I, I, I can't remember what her name is, and I wouldn't tell you if I knew. But let's say Susie, and he walks up to her, and he puts his hand out and says, Welcome, Susie. Let's change the world together. We're going to change the world together. 
And all of a sudden, I felt really tired for Susie. (laughs) And I started thinking to myself, so what happens to Susie when she doesn't change the world? And I started thinking, so what happens to Susie when she doesn't feel close to God? What happens to Susie when she has interpersonal conflict with that pastor? Or someone else on the staff team? What happens to Susie when she has a bad day? She's unhappy, discontent, doesn't like her job, wants to cash out of the ministry. Well, we know what happens. Susie is a failure, of course, because Susie doesn't have enough faith. Where, where does faith come from? Please stand for the answer. How then, this is the great ministry mission verse, verses of the Bible. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach, who preach the good news. And so faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Then Hebrews, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, lay also aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us. And here's what I want us to see. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So Lord, um, the dynamics of what we're looking at are extremely clear, and yet so controversial. And so we're asking for the clarity, and we're asking for the controversy to be put in its proper perspective. But more than anything, Lord, we're asking for faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Where does faith come from? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. I don't think it gets any clearer than that. Where does faith come from? Faith comes from hearing the message, specifically hearing the word of Christ, the message of Christ. So according to the Bible, faith does not come from Jim Elliot. Faith does not come from Susie. Faith does not come from you, and faith does not come from me, and faith does not come from Abraham, and faith does not come from King David, and faith does not come from Moses, and faith does not come from Bathsheba, and faith does not come from Rahab, and faith does not come from Mary, and faith does not come from Mary Magdalene. Faith comes from hearing the message. So, this is such a radical thing to say, though. Can you see this? We need to, like, go back and capture the radicalness of this. Faith 
comes from hearing the message. So do you want to have the kind of faith that deeply connects to God? Do you want to have the kind of faith that experiences God? Do you want to have the kind of faith in which God, the invisible, is now visible and real to you? Faith does not come from you. Faith comes from hearing the message. So are you currently failing to change the world? Let's just, can we just start a little smaller? Do we have to like say, change the world? Let's just start with your anger. Let's just start with your marriage. Let's just start with your child. Let's just start with like getting up in the morning. What happens when you fail in your anger? How do you change that? Are you failing to connect with God this morning? Are you failing to connect in meaningful relationships with people this morning? Are you failing to connect with your child? Are you failing to connect with your spouse? Are you failing to connect with your teacher? Are you failing to connect with the jerk that sits next to you in homeroom? Are you failing to connect with this president? That was rhetorical, Brent. I asked for it. I asked it. Are you failing to feel happy? Are you failing to be thankful? Are you failing to be content? Are you failing to be less anxious? Faith does not come from you. Faith comes from the message, hearing the message. Where does faith come from? The answer is a really big deal. An incredible big deal. And it's so controversial. Let's say faith does come from you. Let's just say it. Here would be implication number one. Then faith is the one human contribution you and I make to our salvation, or if you're a Christian, your sanctification. If faith comes from you, faith, here it is. You have the salvation table, the salvation table, right here, salvation table, or the sanctification table if you're a Christian. God's on one side of the table, you're on the other side of the table. God brings Jesus, you bring your faith. Let's just say God does his part. How well are you doing your part? No pressure. If faith is something you do, you bring it to the salvation table. It's the one human contribution you bring to the salvation table. It's the one human contribution you bring to the life change table. The one contribution you bring to what's called sanctification. Now, implication number two is that the Apostle Paul calls this way of thinking a work, which means this. It's a if you've heard this term, justification by works, sanctification by works, those are the doctrinal, theological ways to describe what we're talking about if faith is what you bring to the table in Christianity, all right? This means faith is something we do. This means faith is something you activate. 
It's like there's, faith becomes this magic. You have this magic hat and you reach into this magic hat and you pull out faith because it's something you produce. And now everybody's gonna tell you what the techniques are or the magic is to actually get it out. Because it's, sometimes it's, it's kind of tricky, it's magic. It doesn't necessarily come out every time you wave the wand. And then someone's gonna write a book to give you a better wand to wave so that you can pull it out. It's really a good business. So faith means, like Paul would say, if it's the contribution you bring to Christianity, Paul would call it a work. It's a human power. So we say stuff like this, I'm believing God for this. And what we mean is like, I'm believing God for the healing. Because remember, you've got to bring your contribution God's going to do his part, but you've got to bring your part. And so we think, I'm believing, my, my hard believing, I'm believing God to heal me. I'm believing God for a wife. I'm believing God to save my child. I'm believing God to work over here. Now, there's one sense in which that's good, and there's another sense in which your believing is necessary for the contribution for it to happen. And then we do things like, and that, that one's not as, that one's like, okay, but the next one is like annoying. It's when someone else comes up and says to you, I'm believing God for you because I know God's will for you. Now that's annoying. All right, I'm believing God to heal you. I've got to DTS, Dallas Theological Seminary, and one of Nancy's sorority sisters had a brother that was dying, a strapping, huge ex-athlete Marine who just fought. And he's in the cancer unit at a hospital in Dallas. I walk into his room, and this is what he said to me. First, I I had to put on a game face because I was told he was like 6'5", 250, a monster athlete, a monster Marine. And he was about 90 pounds when I walked into that room. And I just went game mode. And he says to me, who are you? I said, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a friend of a friend of a friend who asked me to come see you. What do you do? Well, I'm studying to be a pastor. Why are you here? He goes, if you let those crazies in here one more time. He wanted me to leave because he thought I was a part of a group that keeps coming in to pray for people with cancer that don't have enough faith to be healed. He wanted me gone. So we do things like, you know, Dr. Hannah used to tell the story that of a, uh, I think I told this a while ago, but who knows? I'm allowed to do that. I've been here 20 something years. Uh, there was a major seminary president that uh, just took him out for coffee and said, and if I said the seminary, you'd be like, oh my word, I won't send anybody there. Yeah. This president said, hey, John, you need to come here. I, I know that it's God's will for you to come here. 
I believe that it's God's will for you to come here. You, you need to be here. And Dr. Hannah, without flinching, classic style, he says, do you know, do you think if it was so important that I would have to move my family and move across state and leave the state of Texas to come here, do you think God would have told me? <laughs> I'm bringing faith to the table. It's the one human contribution we make. So Paul says that's just bringing works to the table. Paul says that's just bringing your need for control to the table. Paul says all anyone brings to the table of salvation is sin and resistance. And God brings it all. Where does faith come from? Answer number one, not from you, not from me, not from David, not from Abraham, not from Jim Elliot. Faith comes from hearing the message. This is radical. <laughs> this is amazing. This means God does the work. This means God does the activating. This means God activates faith in your life. This means God gives faith to us. This is electrifying. This is freeing. This means faith comes by grace. And of course, there's a famous passage in the Bible that actually says that. So what is the only organ for the Christian? So I want you to think of, if you have a, the body, the organs of the body, what's the only organ for the Christian? Is it the eyes? The eyes see, the eyes seek to understand, the eyes examine, the eyes scrutinize, the eyes search out, the eyes stand sentry and watch, the eyes move to and fro. Is the only organ for the Christian the eyes? Or is the only organ for the Christian hands because the hands grab, the hands build, the hands hold on to, the hands don't let go, the hands are strong. Luther said the only organ of the Christian is the ear. The passive, listening, receiving ear. This is amazing. <laughs> this means the God of the Bible is the God who is heard. Not seen, not grabbed, heard. Who is God? He's the God who is heard. This means knowing God or connecting to God or experiencing God is about hearing God. So do you want to deeply connect with God? Do you want God, to be like intimate and real to you, the answer from the Bible is, hear him. Hear the message. This means God at work. How do you know where God's at work? I want to participate in God being at work. I want to be a part of what God's doing. I want the kind of faith that God uses to move mountains. Where is that? How do you know where he's personally active, present in your life? How do you know where he's personally actively present in your home? How do you know he's personally active in your church? 
How do you know he's personally active any place? The answer is follow the message. Wherever the message is heard, that's where God is. That's where God's at work. That's where God's on the move. That's where God is activating. That's where God is doing things. That's where power is happening. That's where the invisible becomes invisible. Do you want to be a part of what God's doing in people's lives? Do you want to participate in the mission of God? Proclaim the message. That's why Paul says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So where does faith come from? Answer number one, it does not come from you. Answer number two, from hearing the message. What's the message? There it is. What is the message? Oh, man, there it is. Everything hangs on this, doesn't it? What is the message? Whatever the message is, this is what we need to understand. Whatever it is, the message is like a sponge. Think of a sponge, water. Put a sponge in water, soaks it up. The message is like a sponge. And it is soaked with the water of the Holy Spirit. And when you hear that message, the sponge is squeezed, and you get soaked with the Holy Spirit, and you believe for the first time, and your faith gets strengthened and nurtured and put back together for the millionth time. And when your faith is just a flicker like a pilot light, and you wonder if it's even there, you look at someone's life and you're like, gosh, I don't even know because you can't see it because it's a pilot light in the middle of a hurricane. But what turns the power light into a bonfire is hearing the message. The message is a sponge soaked with the Holy Spirit. Do you want to get soaked with the Holy Spirit? Hear the message. So what is the message? Romans 10, 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Uh Uh-oh. Did you hear it? See it? What's the message? There it was. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed. The message is a person. And how were they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? The message is a person. Now, the person's in the grammar. you got to have this. Get your electronic device. Grab that Bible in front of you. We have got to look at this. If you have the ESV, it's going to have a footnote, which is great. If you don't have the ESV, I don't know what to say. The person is in the grammar. I'm not one of those ESV or those King James people. I'm just saying it's a better translation. The person is in the grammar. Do you see that of whom they've never heard? Do you see that in verse 14? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? Do you see that? Okay, got it? God is in the grammar. The person's in the grammar. Of whom they've never heard. You can interpret it as an objective genitive. I know, I know. I'm smart, so I can say stuff like that, right? I took Greek. Here's what you need to know. That means you need the need in this text 
For you to have faith is you need to hear information about the person according to that translation. Of whom? I mean, how are they to believe in him of whom they haven't heard? They don't have the information about him. You've got to give them the information. People need to believe. You've got to tell them about him. They need the information. Convey information. They need information about the person, then they believe. Great, that could be it. That's an objective genitive. And the translation says that. But that was a, an interpretive decision because you can make it a subjective genitive. That's what's really kind of cool. If it's a subjective genitive, it goes like this. How are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? The need is to hear the person. Well, how do you hear the person? The person shows up in the message. And he speaks to you in the message. The sponge gets squeezed and the Holy Spirit is released and soaks you. And you believe. Because faith is the effect of what happens when Jesus shows up. This is so important. If you're focused on your faith, you're focused on your faith. But your faith is the effect of a person showing up. So if you're focused on your faith and strengthening your faith, the person is not there. But you're focusing on how hard you're holding on or how sincere you're holding on is or the techniques of your holding on, but you're holding on to a person. And if the person doesn't show up, there's no holding on. But if the person shows up, I believe. When the person shows up, you don't go, where's my spiritual pulse? When the person shows up, you trust him. When the person shows up, you worship him. When the person shows up, you change on the spot. When the person shows up, you're loved. When the person shows up, you experience forgiveness. When the person shows up, guilt goes away. When the person shows up, life change takes place. When the person shows up, you build meaningful relationships. When the person shows up, Friendship happens. When the person shows up, community happens. When the person shows up, the culture changes. Because everything is an effect of the person. And when he shows up, what does he do? He has the best feet ever. Beautiful feet. Because all he speaks to you is good news. Susie. Remember Susie? You know what he says to Susie? Susie, Susie. Don't listen to him. Susie. I was faithful for you. I had faith for you. I believed God from beginning to the bitter end for you. My faithfulness 
connects you to God, period. Jim Elliot doesn't have more connection to me. Abraham doesn't have more connection to me. David doesn't have more deeply connection to me. I connect you to God. My faith, my belief connects you to God. You know the thing he might say to you and me? He might say, you know, Susie, it's not about how hard you hold on to me. It's how hard I hold on to you. And even maybe a little more theological, Jesus would say, it's about how hard I actually held on to God for you. And you know what else he might say to us as a church? And you might say to Susie, because those of you that really want to be used by God, you know, you want to be used. You want to be an instrument, and you're trying to figure it out. And you know what he would say to you? Preach the good news. Have good news conversations. Make friends and talk about good news because the good news is the power of God. The good news, hearing it, creates faith, sustains faith, preserves faith, strengthens faith, restores faith, fans the flames of faith. And you know what else he would say? I heard this the other day, and I was like, that's so breathtaking. I, it is now, I'm living by that as much as I can as a fallen mess. There's a guy named Zinzen, von, Count von Zimvendorf. Okay, so in the 1700s, the gospel is sort of declining in a particular denomination in Germany. You figure it out. And Zinfendorf gets recovered by the gospel. There's a gospel renewal going on. And he is being reached and renewed by the gospel as a Christian. Justification by faith is running through his whole life. And what he ends up doing is he ends up finding a, uh, someone from the West Indies who became a Christian, and that person says, you need to come and bring the gospel, join me. And he finds two volunteers Moravian community, to go to the West Indies. And that was the beginning of the modern missionary movement. This is the first Protestant missionaries to go from one country to the next that we have documented. And it was the beginning of what became one of the greatest expansions and one of the greatest works of God in human history, the modern missionary movement, begun by people within our tradition. And you know what he said? You know what he said to his missionaries? 20 years later, he's sending missionaries all over the world. And you know what their motto was? This is their motto. This is what I would tell Susie. This is what I tell Redeemer. This is what I tell me. He said, preach the gospel and be forgotten. Man, <laughs> that's how to live. Preach the gospel and be forgotten.
Amen. O Lord, grant it. Grant it. Grant it. Would you stand with us to sing?